This week, we take a look at the quasi-futuristic thriller, Strange Days. And along the way, we ask, just how violent is James Cameron's future? Would you be comfortable living other people's experiences? And why is the wardrobe so strange? Let's jack in on this edition of Force-Fed Sci-Fi. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Force-Fed Sci-Fi as we uh, jack into this film. Uh, that phrase is going to just make me giggle like a little <laughs> schoolgirl this whole time. But my name is... Uh, the, I guess, Jackie and Sean Michael Culp, and along with me is my co-host. I am the bodyguard, I guess, <laughs> Chris Rupp. Oh, what a nice, all right, bodyguard. Well, I guess if you're going with the jacked-in Sean Michael Culp as Lenny Nero of the movie, I guess that, by default, makes me the bodyguard base. All right, but yeah, so we just uh, reviewed this film, or we just watched it, Strange Days, and let me tell you, this film is impossible to find. It's not on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu. Uh, I didn't see it on HBO. It wasn't in my library. So Chris actually ended up loaning me the copy. Yes, I... Uh, you found it somewhere. I have an affinity for uh, certain filmmakers, and Catherine Bigelow is one of them. <laughs> yeah, she's good. So I, I have several of her films in my collection, and uh, it was just on a whim. I bought this a few years ago at one of my local bookstores for like 4 or $5. I'm like, done easy how did you did you even hear about this when it came out or because you were young no we i didn't hear about this this was uh not in my uh my family's uh i guess oeuvre did you just like walk up see ralph fines and go all right yeah huh, the figure you know i'm a ralph fines fan yeah you know, angela bassett was in it too and yeah her 90s spree yeah i was pretty uh I was pretty excited to find this, and uh, little did I know it would be two and a half hours of my life that I would have to invest in it. Dude, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, man, I can only wonder your face when watching this the first time, like yeah. your reaction to if it. If it's a movie knowing. I've never seen before, I always hit the display button to see like how long the movie's going to be. Yeah. And anytime I see something that's over like two hours and 15 minutes, I'm like, what? <laughs> my life is going to be consumed by this Great film. So as Sean mentioned, we're discussing 1995's Strange Days. Um, this movie is particularly brutal and violent and does contain some sensitive subject matter. Yeah. So if you have younger ears around you, this isn't the best episode to listen to. Uh, maybe pause and go back to listen to one of our previous episodes. But uh, just a content warning for you lovely folks today. Yeah. Don't put us on blast if you don't want people to hear it. So how about we provide our listeners with a synopsis for those unfamiliar with this movie? Okay. Take it away, synopsis man. Yes. So when former cop-turned-street hustler Lenny Nero receives a disturbing snuff film detailing the death of one of his friends, he's forced to go back into a life that he seemed to cannot leave behind. As he begins to investigate the death of his friends as well as the mysterious murder of an activist-slash-rapper and a corrupt police force. And he'll soon learn that even his friends and allies are not who they appear to be as he unravels each thread of this mystery. So, that synopsis does not set this film up as a science fiction film. This sounds more like a uh, noir thriller, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But... It is. This snuff film that Lenny receives is based off a of technology that they call Squid. 
mm-hmm. which uh, through wearing this helmet-like device, you attach to the top of your head, and you have a recorder nearby, and it records all your sensations and what you see during whatever it is. If it's somebody that's holding up a liquor store or that's in some type of sexual encounter, yeah. it records all of that. All of it. And you can apparently feel it when you wear it. Everything. It's almost like VR, like virtual reality, but you can actually, it's like you're the person. Yeah, it's like- It's crazy. Where VR, maybe like two or three dimensions, this is like all of them. Literally, this is like you taking your consciousness and like putting it in another person's body. That's insane. It's like far out, dude. But we'll get to how that could work. Yes. So this movie was directed, as we mentioned, by Catherine Bigelow. Not the, she didn't make the tea. No. Ha <laughs> ha! No, it's terrible. I'm sorry. So uh, prior to this, she was most well known for directing Point Break. Yeah. It's a solid film. It's a, it's a great action film mm-hmm. with a crazy Gary Busey. Because <laughs> I, I don't remember a time when Gary Busey was not insane. Dude, when he uh, got that uh, Oscar nod, right? He did. What is that? Buddy Holly? It was or... a Buddy Holly movie. Yeah. And then I think he had like a motorcycle accident soon after that. And just uh, after that, he just went nuts. He, bl- he blamed his psychosis on the motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> had a life of its own. Yeah. And it was uh, written by James Cameron, who. Yeah. The legendary James Cameron, who is actually the ex-husband of Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> so they were like the Hollywood power couple doing the films At together. At the time, I think they were only married for maybe four or five years, and uh, production production of this film, they were not together. Oh, I bet that was awkward. Yeah. Well, maybe. maybe not. I don't know. I, 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 I follow the firm rule of um, don't poop where you eat, so I, <laughs> I don't get involved with coworkers like that. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. Who else do we got in here? He produced it, Stephen Charles Jaffe. Mm-hmm. I guess he worked with Catherine Bigelow on some of the films like uh, K-19, Widowmaker. Ooh. And he did Star Trek IV, The Undiscovered Country. Bully. Or is that six? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> You're asking me? Six. Well, hey, man. Well, bully for him. <laughs> bully for him. and Yeah, so James Cameron, screenplay? story and produced it and i read he also did some editing wow on this movie and i'd be willing to bet i know which scene he edited <laughs> we'll talk about that later oh my god so this film is starring uh ralph fines a who, young ralph fines. very young ralph fines who is coming off of schindler's list at the time yeah he's got i do is this real hair yeah. was he going bald at this time or uh i don't think he went bald i think he went bald when he did um the Avengers, not the Marvel Avengers, but the British Avengers. Oh, yes. That that lovely film. Yeah. I I've forgot never, about that. I've never seen <laughs> it. For, it's, it's bad. It's got Sean Connery, though, as the villain. So if you like Sean Connery. Oh, but it's pretty bad. Also starring uh, Juliette Lewis, a very young Juliette Lewis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Angela Bassett, who is always awesome. Uh, Tom Sizemore, who, uh, great actor, garbage human. Garbage. <laughs> That's true. And then we got Vincent uh, D'Onofrio. D'Onofrio. A young Vincent D'Onofrio. Very young. This is like before uh, Law and Order, right? Before he got pudgy. Yeah. I mean, he's still a great actor, don't get me wrong. Uh, <laughs> also, William Fickner. We have back-to-back yes, movies back-to-back. with William Fickner. Dude, I'm telling you, man. This guy just appears in things. And then we have um, Michael Wincott, who plays the uh, hawk-faced uh, Philo Gant. Which I love that name, Philo. Philo. Because <laughs> it's... um. 
Clint Eastwood did these two like street boxer movies, Every Which Way But Loose, and uh, okay. Any Way You Can, where he plays a character named Philo Beto. <laughs> Philo Beto. <laughs> yeah, the the gag in that movie is he's, is he has a pet orangutan. What? You've never seen these no! movies? Oh, they're what? so funny. What is this? What? What are they called? It's it's called Every Which Way Baloose, the first one's called. Every Which Way Baloose? <laughs> the heck, man. And it's also starring Glenn Plummer. He plays uh, Jericho One, the rapper activist who is uh, killed uh, partway through the film. Yep. And then um, Yosef Summer, who plays uh, the police commissioner, who's uh, probably more well-known as a bit actor. He's also starred as a president in one of the X-Men films, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. But some casting notes, uh, Andy Garcia was considered for Lenny Nero, which I, I would have been okay with that too at the time because Andy Garcia Man. was huge in the mid-90s. Oh, yeah. And uh, Godfather. Uh, Bono. Yes, that Bono was considered for Philo Gant. Bono. Yeah. Oh, well, I could see Bono of fun. U2. That's good. Well, it's like it's not like Philo did anything except like have his goons beat up Ralph Fiennes and play his guitar. Well, he slapped Juliet Lewis in the face, That's so right. I don't know if Bono could have pulled that off. That is true. He's such a nice man. And then there was a who's who of Hollywood heavy hitters who were considered for Lenny Nero. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Denzel Washington, Michael Keaton, mm-hmm. Tom Cruise. Bruce Willis, John Travolta. Again, he seems to be considered for a lot of movies we talk about. Uh, Sean Penn, Bill Paxton, Dennis Quaid, and Kurt Russell were all considered for that part. Wow, that's so many good actors. So it seems like they had a real hard time casting the role if they went through that many guys. Hey, kudos for not doing Tom Cruise because half of this movie would just be running. So much running. Running. Running in that ostentatious wardrobe. Yes. (laughs) Oh, God. It would have just been like this blue polyester blur that's running by you. I'm mad that they didn't have him run. That that was a misfire on uh, Bigelow. Maybe, where's that movie? Instead of Strange Days, it's just called Strange Runnings. (laughs) You see Tom Cruise running everywhere. Well, he's probably not tall enough for the end murder scene with Tom Sizemore. Yeah, Tom Sizemore would probably just pull him over the ledge. He would, because he's so short. He just whoop, flopped right over. (laughs) So how how did this movie come about, Sean? It came about by James Cameron. He decided he wanted to make an awesome film back in 1985 and decided to take 10 years to make it. Yeah. And it's like like you said, in the, I guess, Y2K, I guess that was supposed to be a big factor in the film, but- it just it didn't seem like there were any stakes with that though. No, it did not. It was weird because I can see you can feel that it was written maybe ten years prior. Because back then it was like, Oh, Y two K, what's gonna happen? But it kinda like sloughed off. They didn't spoiler alert, nothing happened yeah. when they when the clocks rolled over to the year two thousand. Nothing. The um the only thing that people were really worried about for Y2K. And then, of course, there were the survivalists and the people who were convinced the world was going to end, but there was a- <laughs> My dad. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sorry for your dad. <laughs> but the the concern was a, a computer bug that didn't account for like the switchover days, because it- uh, the bug was that it only counted years in two digits, so oh. so that the computer thought it was like 1999, but if it flipped over to 00, well, then it would think it was in 1900 and not the year 2000. Oh. So, huh. I don't know. If you want more context on that, listen to the podcast titled Surviving Y2K, hosted by Dan Taberski, because he goes into more detail than I could. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But people people were seriously panicking about that. So, yeah, I, I totally get if, if this film was made in 1985. Uh, I guess it said it was made in May 12, 94. 
And they said that, Catherine said that the O.J. Simpson murder case echoed the film's events. I saw that um, that verdict and also the Rodney King case motivated Bigelow and Cameron to really get to work on it. Okay. Because that, one of the yeah. main, the central event in that film is the assassination of um, Jericho 1. Yeah. Which, that's like huge. Well, kind of. It's like they talk about it, like with the cops, they're worried about the gangs taking over with the police drama. It's brutal, is what it's, it is. It's it's almost, it's a gangland execution is what it is. It really is. Those cops just blow them away. Yeah, but that was a great scene. Did you like that POV? Because, yeah, a lot of this film is, this uh, movie is filmed with POV. Yeah. When they do the uh, squid elements. They spent a full year developing those POV cameras. That's so dope. Yeah, and it, it, the camera itself ended up weighing about eight pounds. And it could fit into the palm of someone's hand. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so I thought that was really interesting with um, the camera because up until then, I don't think any POV shots were really done in films. No, not that I can recall. So this was, I would consider this a pioneer in that uh, that regards of that shot. I mean, granted, it's not used so much anymore. Well. But, I mean, I think if you use it and you pick your moments and it's used to great effect. Totally. Yeah, you can pull it off. Well, that uh, film, what, Hardcore Henry? That, I think that was all shot The POV. whole movie the was whole shot film. in POV, and then the, the, it wasn't that good of a movie. I did not see it. I just <laughs> saw the trailer. But apparently this film was shot over the period of 77 nights yeah. in the Los Angeles area, and I guess the city was super cooperative, which is kind yeah. of crazy. Made on a budget of $30 million. $30 million? Yeah. That's not bad. This was part of a production deal with uh, James Cameron's Lightstorm Entertainment and 20th Century Fox Ooh. for um, this film and True Lies which he wound up directing. But True Lies got the bulk of that deal because True Lies got $70 million. Oh, my God. That deal. Isn't that with Schwarzenegger, too? Yeah, it's with uh, Arnold never, Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee it. Curtis. Oh, man. How is it? Is it good? Oh, uh, it's been years since I've seen it. <laughs> some of those early films with Schwarzenegger, you can't really understand It doesn't seem saying. like it's a Cam James Cameron film. I no, mean, It seems no. like it's a Rennie Harlan-directed film. That's what I mean. It's so, like, off the wall because he does, like, alien. Aliens, and then he does like Terminator. Yeah, yeah, and then like he jumps into Titanic, then Avatar. He's like super and now he's sci -fi. going back to Avatar because for like another five times. I don't know how many more Star-Crossed Lover films can you make, James Cameron? <laughs> Apparently, you've got five more lined up. Maybe it's what he really wants to talk about, Chris. Love. I also read that a um, that the New Year's Eve sequence cost over seventy five uh, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars to shoot. Yeah, dude. Required. 50 off-duty police officers to control a crowd of 10,000 people. God. And the production actually hired rave promoters to fill the scene. Rave promoters. That's, that's how they dope. advertise it was a rave for a movie, and they got all those people down there. Oh, that's so cool. I would have gone. Which just seems like a logistical nightmare to shoot. Well, yeah. But it's it, it was executed, though, perfectly. Because you just see all these people with all the confetti and the cops. It was brilliantly shot. That was probably my, one of my favorite sequences outside of like the POV moments and all that. Yeah. That's squid tech. I mean, to me, how it works, it just doesn't make sense. No. It, what does it connect to your cerebral cortex? Yeah. And I read that the cerebral cortex processes information. Yeah. It doesn't like make you feel. It has no connection to, like, your sensories. And the implication is the uh, the wearer of the squid tech and the person who's viewing it, like, they feel the sensations of the original wearer, right? Yeah, which, that, because that's tough, because I feel like if you're going to 
experience what someone is, I guess, with your consciousness and theirs, you would have to have the technology all over your body. It would be like a full body suit. Well, you would need something to measure the heartbeat. Mm -hmm. um, also something that would measure like the adrenaline, mm -hmm. um, blood pressure. Uh, also just like these receptors all over the body that would measure yeah. like pain. Because like when you touch something, when you touch something, you have sensors in your hand and it says, hey, I'm touching something. It goes up to your brain and then your brain shoots the signal back down and says, yes, I'm feeling the table. This is what it is. But it's not like your brain is like causing you to feel everything. You have to have the sensors all over your body in order to feel. Hence why, you know, when someone goes paralyzed, they can't feel crap all over their legs. Well, I'm maybe Jeremy's making a face at me. <laughs> no, producer Jeremy's just looking at us with disdain. <laughs> you have to be able to send this signal, or no? The brain interprets. So if you actually send signals right into the brain, your body might actually be tricked and, oh. and feeling that. So you don't necessarily have to feel it on your skin. Ooh. So, and actually, my opinion would be uh, this could be possible if you actually paralyze somebody. So you send those signals into the brain. It's almost like dreaming. Oh. You, your body actually paralyzes you while you're dreaming so you don't, you know, fall off the bed or whatever. That's so dope. Jeremy's jabs. Dude, we're paralyzed when we sleep. Wow. How dope is that? God, that's so cool. I'm curious to know why that why the squid equipment was immediately made illegal. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious, like, maybe it was part of some type of political scandal or... It's a technology that wasn't supposed to make it to the civilian world. I guess maybe the power that they could use it for. Yeah, it seems like that would be abused pretty easily. Well, yeah, because in the film, basically, the only videos that you ever see um, Lenny get is when someone's being raped or, like, sexually assaulted in some way or murder. You know, there's never, except, like, the one with the guy in the wheelchair where you can feel legs. That's, like, the only nice video we get to see. I do want to ask you this. I mean, doesn't the idea of jacking in seem awful? Yeah, like, I guess you could use it if someone says, take a walk in my shoes. Then you could actually do it. Well, the, the entire, for the entire film, we don't see positive no. clips of the squid. The one positive clip we get is the Lenny gives a clip to... A man who doesn't have legs. Mm -hmm. but he gives him a clip of um, of a man running down the beach and a woman smiling at him, and he feels the sensation of running and having legs. Mm -hmm. The rest of the film, it is just like it's either sexual encounters or it's like somebody ripping off a liquor store or, or like creepy stuff, like yeah. running a knife along his throat. So yeah, I could see how this technology could easily be abused. Yeah, the only way I could see it is like if you want to know what it feels like to be someone. And like a modern day, like, I want to know what it's like to be in the military, you know, on a deployment. And then you could like be in one of those action sequences if you want to join or something. <laughs> or, or literally, if like someone's like, take a walk in my shoes, I'm like, all right. Oh, so this is what it feels like. I'm good with just playing Call of Duty. You're good with Call of Duty? <laughs> or someone with bad back problems? Do you want to know how this actually feels? Right. Try it on. Oh, my God. So Maybe. Well, the the really the only the clip that really puts Lenny over the top and he just he can't handle it is that um the blackjack he calls it the death of Iris. Yeah, because that's brutal. But man. this mysterious masked villain, which is just one red herring villain out of the many we get in this movie. Well, that scene was brutal. I I like couldn't. I wanted to look away, and like a couple times I did, but it was I don't know, man. The cut between the jacking in 
of the guy like raping and tying up this chick and then going back to Lenny and he's just like making facial expressions like he's the person having sex. So he's like, oh, 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 oh. And like he's like making these weird noises. And it to me, that was comical because it was just bad acting. But I didn't blame him because how can you act out that scene? Number one. And number two, why are you showing him? Because that took me out of it. I'm like, this is hilarious. Well, the whole time we don't know who this killer is, obviously. And the, yeah. we're set up afterwards to think that Hawkface Gant is the, the yeah. murderer rapist. But he's just the like whole time. addicted to it. Yeah. He's just addicted to feeling what people feel. And then we have the two psycho cops, uh, Steckler and Engelman. Yeah, because they're the ones that kill the uh, hip-hop artist. And yeah. then Faith gets, or Iris gets away. So they're after Iris. And then she gives the tape to Lenny. Because Lenny, they see her give the tape to Lenny. That's why the cops are then after Lenny and Mace, killing them because... The cops were their own set of crazy. I mean, because yeah. during the New Year's Eve scene, I mean, Steckler just starts shooting people in the Ev- crowd. Dude, everyone. And nothing happens. No one stops him. No. No, it, I did. That scene was kind of funny because the camera would point to him, he'd shoot, and then you would just point to the crowd and someone would just dive on the ground. There were all these cops, other cops in riot gear. Yeah. And they see him shooting like- Random civilians. Yeah, like why doesn't any, like, and these cops have shields and they've got tasers and all this stuff. Just run over and like, Tase him in the neck. Like, get right. him to stop. Or be like, yo, bro, you're not supposed to gun down Or he's surrounded like by this. civilians and people who, like, would see that. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't anybody, like, jump on his back or start, like, Something. beating the crap out of him? Exactly. Because he's just trying to shoot after Mace horribly. And then poor Engelman just, like, I, I felt more like that Engelman was along for the ride mm-hmm. with Steckler's craziness, that he wasn't actually... No. trying to do bad things. It was more like he was coerced to doing them by Steckler. Yeah, that's what I felt like, too, with his character. Like, he just seemed, he almost seemed like a cop that's new on duty, you know? Like, he wasn't a seasoned veteran. He was just, yeah, should I do this? Oh, okay, I guess I will. And then slowly throughout the film, he realizes, oh, crap, I'm in too deep. But they didn't flesh out those characters enough, I felt like. No, really the only fleshing out of the characters we got was Lenny and Mace. That was it. Yeah. And I then, felt that it was like a kind of a misstep on the director's part. And, and then there was the like so much characterization in Max during his yeah. final evil reveal plan. Which, so much. So much there. And the way it turns out, if we find out that Max was actually the masked murderer and rapist, and Max just seemed like such a plain serial killer. Yeah. I mean, the way he was gloved up and he had the disguise on and he cut, picked the lock and went inside and mm-hmm. he had a ritual and it's like, it was like watching like a chapter from Mindhunter is what it was. Mm-hmm. Just like serial killer methodology and profiling could be at work here. Well, I knew that he was, I knew it was him like halfway through because when he snuck into the, uh, the apartment and put the knife up to Lenny's neck and then like, he woke up, saw the video, and then saw Mace in the kitchen. And she was kind of like eyeballing him weirdly. I was like, all right, it's either Mace or Max. And then like once Mace went along, with, I was like, oh, it can't be Mace. That wouldn't make sense. Because Max, he just had like this horrible wig on with Tom Sizemore. Which we didn't know was a wig until the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it, but it was so bad. And I'm like, oh, I bet he's just doing the uh, squid the whole time. And then sure enough, they rip off the wig and it's a squid tech. But that was weird to me because I thought if you jacked in too much, then your brain turns to mush or like you can't come back to reality, right? Yeah. that happened to the one guy. Tick in Tick, the van. And then it happened to Philo. Mm-hmm. 
So with it's the like, exception of the squid tech, though, I mean, nothing seemed super futuristic in no. this movie outside of the fashion. <laughs> oh, Lord. The horrible fashion! <laughs> the horrible, horrible fashion, dude. That would probably be like my lens flare for this thing. The fashion was just uh, it was, seriously every single time Lenny, like the scene, whenever they went somewhere, it was like he had a different outfit. And like you described these outfits, they're outrageous. Yeah, Lenny in the beginning of the film is wearing leather pants, which um. Unless you're a cowboy and you have jeans underneath, you have no reason to wear like leather anything. <laughs> leather is like the most useless fabric article of clothing that's ever been invented. And yet people still wear it for jackets. Spoiler alert, leather jackets don't keep you warm in winter. No. They don't. But I have a leather jacket. Well, bully for you. Now you know. <laughs> you wasted some money. I like my leather jacket. So he's wearing those leather pants in the beginning of the film and then at the New Year's... Um, celebration he's wearing this tuxedo mm-hmm. but it's like crushed black velvet and he has this waistcoat that goes down to his knees it's almost like a trench coat it's so weird mace is the only one who seems like she's wearing like appropriate clothing for mm-hmm. the time yeah she... like she has her business professional look when she's chauffeuring around that guy mm-hmm. and then she has like her combat street clothes and then she's got her formal wear for the end of the film. Yeah. And Lenny's just wearing like these ratty suits that like some street pimp would wear. Yeah. Like he'd have like a aqua colored shirt, that button up shirt, and then a ruby tie. And he'd just be like, oh, these clothes don't match. This tie doesn't go with the shirt. I'm like, okay. Now I don't know if the director's poking fun at his excessive like outfit changes because it was like every time. He would change. I mean, but the technology did seem somewhat appropriate. I mean, the cars didn't seem like too ostentatious. They didn't have any solar panels or were retrofitted with any like body kits or anything. The guns seemed fairly normal because anytime Hollywood does a futuristic film, they always like go ham on the future tech. Yeah. Uh, even the cell phones seemed appropriate for what we got in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. I mean- It was pretty up to date, I would yeah, say. Yeah, because they, were, they weren't, they didn't look like bricks, but they were slim and they looked mm-hmm. light that you could carry them. I mean, I don't know how they were able to get signal in like a <laughs> in a tall abandoned building though, because that seems like that'd be a dead zone. Yeah. In the 2000s, like literally there was a dead zone every 50 feet because we didn't have cell towers like we do now. It's so true. I mean, you know, because what, we looked up dash cams. I mean, the whole murder scene wouldn't have happened because yeah. of the cops, because of surprise dash cams. Yeah, like we, we made this point, like, because uh, this was uh, year 2000. Yeah. So it was the time after the Rodney King verdict. So you'd think like there'd be dash cams in all the LAPD uh, vehicles yeah. and that would have captured the the horrible execution that would have just ended it right there and even like if it was turned off they would have to answer like okay why? well why was your yeah. dash cam turned off <laughs> exactly and why why is it conveniently turned off when you were at the scene of the execution you know well uh, and i think you touched on this too i mean that whole scene with um jericho one and his friend and their lady friend being shot that was uh just a long list of brutal scenes in this movie. Yeah. It's it was it was pretty tough to watch, I think. You have to it's it was like a mishmash of like art house, futuristic tech, brutal murder, dialogue that you really had to like listen to and get through because if you didn't pay attention to this film, it would it would really pass you by, I think. I mean, the opening scene itself where it was in real time and these guys go in and rob the Chinese restaurant, I mean, yeah. 
That was crazy. I mean, it it, just, what an opening, though. What an opening. I actually read that that was filmed at four different locations because they couldn't find just one location with everything they needed. <laughs> That's funny. What and, great editing. Yeah, and they disguised their cuts with, like, turnaways and pans and all that. So, I mean, that was good editing there. Yes, I would. See, that was the crazy part about this film. It had some brilliant moments with editing, but then there would be some moments where you're just like, what the heck is going on? Yeah, I have to question some of the filmmaking decisions here. And I think this is more, I think I lean... Uh, lay the onus on uh, James Cameron here for these. Yeah, like the ending cutscene. Oh, good lord! the 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 big reveal of Max is probably <laughs> the most egregious of this. It's so bad, you almost get dizzy from the different cuts. So it's Max in one end of the room and Lenny on the other end of the room. Max is revealing his horrible plan. So the camera yeah <laughs> goes to Max, and then quick cut to Lenny's face, and then a quick cut like looking up at Max, and yeah. then it's at shoulder height of Max quick cut back to Letty and then back and forth and back and forth and back and forth with all these cuts while they're giving dialogue. Yeah. These cuts are mid sentence, mid word. (laughs) And it's just, it's like Tarantino moving the camera, Mm -hmm. except Tarantino does it better than this. Yeah. It was just, it was so weird. Like, cause I got it at the beginning, you know, cause Max was talking and it zoomed on on Lenny. And then you see Max in the mirror. It's like, Ooh, I'm artsy. I'm just going to focus on this dude giving the mirror. You know, in the background, Mir giving his plan. And I'm like, this is terrible. Why would I use this shot? But then they kept using that style of cutting there. The whole time. When Max is dangling off of Lenny's tie. (laughs) That was terrible. Because it was cut on Max's face to cut to Lenny's face, cut back to Max's face, then cut to (laughs) Lenny's back back where there's a knife sticking out of him. And the back up from under, you see Max dangling. It's like, what? What is going on? We get it. We get the situation. He's dangling over a balcony onto the crowd. We get it. We don't need 15 cuts of different angles. And then the characters themselves, I mean... Max was almost shoehorned in at the villain within the last like half hour of the film, and then he's yeah. just dropped off the building unceremoniously. Yeah, I don't know why they shoehorned him in. I was trying to figure out why. <laughs> I'm like, what? I guess you could have done Philo as this evil guy. That and then they put in sense. this this love story with Mason yeah. Lenny in the literally in the last minute of the film. Yeah, yeah, because you get yeah they make out. He just opens up the limo and just grabs her and kisses. I'm like, what? Lenny realizes what he's had in front of him the entire time and has to plant one on Angela Bassett. Like, dude, it took you two and a half hours to get to this point? What's wrong with you? And she's been chastising him the entire movie. She's really the only, like, truly great character in this film. She is. Because she has that great, like, come to Jesus talk with Lenny. Mm -hmm. Like, you're living someone else's memories. You need to stop doing this stuff. She, I would say, yes, I totally agree with you. She is the most grounded and interesting character in this film. Lenny is just annoying how he keeps going back to faith. I mean, Ralph Fiennes acted the crap out of this part. He was insatiable because I haven't seen many of his roles where he's the prominent lead. But outside of those two, it was just kind of like, ooh. I mean, don't get me wrong. I am glad that. Uh, Lenny and Mace got together, but this just reeks of the fact that Cameron either doesn't know how to write romantic storylines or just uses all of the cliche ones. Well, there is Titanic and Avatar, Chris, and uh, nothing's more cliche than those two films. So I tend to just lean towards the fact that he loves using the cliches. Well, I'm going to second that. No offense, James Cameron. You're a great (laughs) uh, filmmaker. But But this movie also did touch on some rather um, relevant themes. 
yeah. relevant concepts. Um, we talked about Jericho one being assassinated mm-hmm. and the kind of the racial overtones there. Yeah. And then also this idea of live streaming crime, mm-hmm. which I found a uh, very interesting article about because there have been a slew of incidents going back to 2016 mm-hmm. about crimes that have either been broadcasted on Facebook Live or on Twitch Livestream. Yeah. So there was a, a police shooting that involved uh, the death of a young man named Philando Castile in 2016 as his girlfriend was live streaming the incident from their car, which was insane. And then in 2017, there was a gang rape in Sweden that was live streamed to Facebook. That's nuts. And also in 2017, there was a shooting death of a man named Robert Godwin in Cleveland where a man opened his Facebook Live, said he was going to walk up and shoot some random person in the head, and this poor person that was a victim of the crime turned out to be poor Robert Godwin. That's terrible. Why would you live stream your murder? Like, what sick person would do that? Well, then there were two more incidents that... Two more? Two more. There was In 2018, there was a mass shooting at an eSports tournament that was live streamed to Twitch. That's nuts. And then in 2019, this past year, there was the Christchurch shooting... In New Zealand, that was broadcast on Facebook Live for 17 minutes. That's so Where over up. 50 people were killed. That's so messed up. And it wasn't until after this specific incident that Facebook began to evaluate exactly what material is live streamed. Yeah. Like, it took you long enough, Facebook. The Vegas thing wasn't live streamed? No, that was at a concert, and I think there were um, people in the crowd that started pulling out their phones and, like, like oh, taking felt, pictures yeah. and video. They weren't live streaming it or anything. I don't think they were. Okay. But I mean- That's I, nuts though, dude. Why would you live stream your own? Like how messed up is that? Well, it's just these people who feel like they need a stage. Like yeah. they want they want to feel in power and they want to feel respected. And they <laughs> want to feel feared. Like this, what? Like this isn't the way of going about it. Like you-, you No, this is not the way You of need going professional psychiatric help, not an audience. Yes, that's terrible. That's almost as bad as like people recording incidents of like people getting mugged right in front of them and just standing by. Yeah, I don't know what's worse, people live streaming their crimes or somebody recording a crime and yeah. not and not helping to intervene. So what else? Uh is there any more filmmaking decisions or anything that through you i'm more interested i was more interested in the backstory of lenny because all we get that he was involved with faith and that Mm -hmm. he was an ex-cop why is he an ex-cop i know that was that i wish we could have seen more of him like doing cop things because we really didn't get that he just like mentioned every time they would talk about the police he'd just be like oh they're lazy oh it's not gonna take you know we're just gonna throw it under the rug I mean, if he was an ex-cop, I mean, I would think that he was fired for just calling his boss stupid. And uh, Pro- probably, little professional tip for you people: if you call your boss stupid for long enough, they will fire you. They will. <laughs> you can't just say what you want to people. I mean, besides the editing decisions, and that leads me to actually my lens flare was um, the scene at the impound when Mace and Lenny are going to retrieve a, a disc from mm-hmm. Lenny's car. They encounter this uh, big Rottweiler. And it runs out to them and barks at them. And then Mace pulls out a can of, I guess, Mace. <laughs> and uh, sprays his poor dog and it just runs away. You know, yeah. And then this also, it leads to Your my red, red shirt. shirt. Yes. It's the dog. The dog gets maced and. The dog gets killed. What the crap? This so, is another episode. So after Mace and Lenny retrieve the disc from the car, they're found by the two crazy cops and they start like 
cornering them and they want the disc and then the dog comes out of nowhere and starts biting Engelman. He shakes the dog off and just shoots it. When will it stop, Chris? I don't know. The murder of these innocent animals and these sci-fi flicks. But I'm getting pretty sick of it, to be honest. (laughs) Because we keep seeing this. This is at least our fifth film where we see some poor animal just get killed for no reason. (laughs) We should have like a dog kill counter. Yeah, we need a running tally of just like barnyard animals that have been killed. Barnyard animals. Well, in Doomsday, I think we got two of them. (laughs) That's terrible. It's just too many to count so far. There was a goat in Jurassic Park as well. Oh, man. And then there's this poor dog and so many cute barnyard animals. (laughs) Just gets murdered. No problem killing humans in horror movies. But no. In sci-fi, it's animals, man. (laughs) All right. So that I definitely agree. That was uh, my red shirt. That poor dog. That poor freaking dog. They don't even get the dog's name. No. It's just just junkyard dogs. (laughs) Humanize the dog. Yeah, that's like red shirt number nine on the Star Trek original series. Oh, just jug your dog. <laughs> we gotta show these cops mean business. Let's throw a dog out in front of a papa, papa. How does that casting meeting go? It's like, all right, now, now play dead. Dude, what if you're a dog owner and they're like, you have to kill this dog? Oh, that's terrible. Well, they don't actually kill the well, dog, obviously. But like you, yeah, if you're in a scene, they're like, all right, Chris, you're gonna murder this adorable puppy. I couldn't do it. It's like, boop, boop. No. <laughs> I quit. Put a cat in front of me and we'll talk. Not even a cat. I have a cat at home. I can't do that either. Turtle? No, I don't have a turtle. Cow? Well, why would I kill a turtle? Just to show your human business. What about a tiger? Uh, no. Horse? Tigers are majestic. What? And horses are beautiful creatures. Oh, my God. What about a porcupine? Skunk. Skunks can go. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. All right, so I think we've talked enough about this. uh... Ooh, I did find, I found a new addition in this week in Toxic Fandom. Yes. What? Throw it at. I think I saw this too. So this week's Toxic Fandom, courtesy of uh, the pet ants on IMDb, (laughs) the new millennium began on January 1st, 2001, and not in the year 2000, which was the last year of the 20th century. Yep. So we have a calendar pet ant now we can add to the list. <laughs> That's right. Along with our astro pet ants, our physic pet ants. Yeah. <laughs> so congratulations, nerd. <laughs> They're calendar thumpers, man. It's crazy. <laughs> Actually. Somebody was just watching Strange Days and got so mad <laughs> so, that they, so they had to push up their glasses to the bridge of their nose and be like, Actually. <laughs> out of the eight. Billion, eight million that it took from the box office. That's the one person. Yeah. That's... So let's go into legacy with this bad boy. So this movie was not an immediate success. No. No, it was not in no. any regards, man. It grossed $8 million at the box office against that $30 million budget. Yeah. Oh, yours is 30. Mine says 42 oh, on wow. Wikipedia. So that's even worse. Oh, wow. That's not good. Did it even do anything with home media? I don't even think Slightly. so. Slightly. I saw that it was released on DVD, I think, in 1999. Yeah. But it was well-received at critics at the time of release, though. I mean, Roger Ebert called it a, quote, technical tour de force, unquote, and yeah. gave the film four stars. He loved it, which is crazy, man. And this film was actually recognized big at the 22nd annual Saturn Awards. Yeah, that's right. Catherine Bigelow won for Best Director, and Angela Bassett won for Best Actress. It is true. It was nominated uh, in several other categories as well. I saw Best Science Fiction Film was in that category. 
uh, was among the nominations. Mm-hmm. Um, but the movie, it, would, it has since developed a cult following. Oh, I can see. It's art housey. Yeah. Definitely. And I can the, see that. I would, and, and the critical standing, I would say, has improved. And the attitudes have uh, kind of softened towards this film. Yeah, but you still can't find it anywhere. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit hard to find. I mean, unless you're like me and you're weird and you have these these off the wall movies in your collection. You want to see that? Uh, who's that chick that played uh, Faith? Yeah, oh, Juliette Lewis. If you want to see her like make her pitch to be a rock star, because I guess <laughs> she actually sang all of her parts. Yeah. Oh yeah, I totally forgot to talk about that. Well, she actually yeah. is a touring musician with her band. Wait, seriously? Yeah, Juliette Lewis. Oh, is. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, rock on. Cause yeah, she. People, this is like in the 90s when like punk was a thing. The, a lot of this film has a lot of music of her just singing away. Yeah, I don't, I don't get the context of the songs, though. I don't understand the lyrics. No, I didn't either. I, just I mean, felt- this was also around a time when No Doubt was pretty big, so that was kind of like the be-all <laughs> and end-all of uh, female-led um, uh, rock groups. I forgot about that. But, I mean, Juliette Lewis was is just it. one of a few people who have gone on to do bigger and better things after mm-hmm. this movie. I mean, Rob... Ralph Fiennes is now M in in James Bond films and mm-hmm. has had a stellar film career. Oh, totally. Uh, Angela Bassett is now part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as the Queen of Wakanda. Oh, she's legendary too, man. Well, the exception would be Tom Sizemore, who has been battling drug addiction and has For run into a- 25 years. A whole slew of legal pro- problems such as drug possession and domestic violence. <laughs> There's actually a story- uh, of him when he was in Saving Private Ryan and all these, um, these ac- the, he, it was coming to light his issues with alcohol and drugs. Mm-hmm. And Steven Spielberg sat him down as he played a very prominent supporting role in the film, sat him down and told him that he was going to get drug and alcohol tested every single day. Mm-hmm. And if he failed even one of those tests, regardless of how far they were into production, Spielberg would recast his role and reshoot all of his scenes. That is nuts. Luckily. Luckily, that didn't happen in Sizemore turning the best performance of his career. Yes, by far. But uh, yeah, in this in this movie, he just turns out to be you know bug nuts insane. <laughs> <laughs> he plays the role great though. Okay, so I think that's uh, I think we unpacked enough of Strange Days, Sean. I think so. Let's give our uh, own review. Let's give our rating, shall we? Yes. So using our scale on the Force Fed Sci Fi podcast of wouldn't watch, would watch, would own. And would host viewing parties. What do you give 1995's Strange Days? I think I, I would probably watch it with people that are really into like art housey films, and they want to see something interesting and weird from the 90s. So like, if yeah, I wouldn't like trash it and say I'd never see this again because the film sequences are awesome. Like some of the editing movements are great. The camera, the POV is awesome, but. I, I don't think I don't. Well, I couldn't because you can't even find it anywhere. So you would watch this. It would just have to be with like a select group of people. Yeah. Like if I was doing like a film study or something, teaching a class or learning <laughs> about something uh, in a class, definitely. you Because you could pull some moments away from this film. It's a good example to show in a film class. Like, see, this is what you do well and this is what you yes, do poorly. In the same film. <laughs> it's crazy. How about you, man? You know, I would have to agree with you. I would call this a would watch. Mm-hmm. Um despite the fact of me owning it in my <laughs> collection this isn't a movie that i like actively seek out though like i i no. like if i do a marathon like this i like finding films that have a similar theme to it mm-hmm. like i would watch strange days and then i would follow it up afterwards with maybe something like zodiac oh okay 
Yeah. Um, I think for starters, the length is a big problem with the film. It, fe- it, it feels a half hour longer than it should be. They could have cut some more stuff out of there. Absolutely. For sure. Some of the camera movements a bit off-putting, especially towards the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Some of the clip scenes are incredibly brutal yeah. and could make somebody who isn't expecting those scenes to just turn off the film. Mm-hmm. But I, I do agree with you that the POV scenes are done well. Yeah. And it is acted with some... Good characters. I mean, not great, because Mace is really the only great one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> With, like, an actual story. The world in that this film takes place does feel fully formed, but this seems like a an, almost an extreme version of that. Mm-hmm. Because it was like if the cops... It's like cops versus the gangs. Yeah. And if the cops don't win control, then the gangs are going to take over. There's, like, one or the other. There's this is no like everything that NWA and Public Enemy were rapping about in the early 90s just coming true. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like Bigelow and Cameron just saw the violence that was happening around them and just started rolling with it. Like, made a film that, like, oh, what would happen if we just continued down this path? Thankfully, we did not. So I think that about wraps it up for uh, Strange Days. What do you think about picking our next movie, Sean? Oh, it's time. It's time. We're calling. We're calling in for a favor to Major Samantha. Oh, yeah. To help us pick from a list of 118 films... And she has selected. Bow chicka wow wow. <laughs> she has selected number 70. So it's a 2001 film directed by Ivan Reitman. It is Evolution. Hey! Starring David Duchovny, Orlando Jones, Julianne Moore, and Sean William Scott. Okay, I remember seeing trailers of this back in the day when it was out, but I never saw it. Yeah. My it's... mother scoffed and said, I'm not taking you to that. Oh, your poor mother. She was, she is a lovely woman. She is. (laughs) So I think that about wraps it up on this edition of Force Fed Sci-Fi. If you enjoyed today's show, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It helps drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Force Fed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for all of us at the Forcefed Sci-Fi team, we will see you next time. Force Fed Sci-Fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.